So we're here today to finally deep dive into Thunderball. That's great. I'm looking forward to it. But yeah. before we go down that path, okay. I just have one more thing to say about the moon landings. You gotta be f***ing kidding me. Ian Fleming's James Bond 007. You may now open the folder in front of Code name? For your eyes only. Are you ready to get back to work? With pleasure, M. With pleasure. So we promise you no moon landing talk for the entire podcast. Maybe. Well, there's not really there's not really many NASA related. There's a few satellites it's and 1965, stuff. 1965, Gemini. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. There's there is a, a crash into the moon, but we're not going to talk about any of that. So rest assured for all our non moon landing fans out there. However, we will, as we stated, this is our four guys only for Thunderball. We're going to deep dive into what might be, what some have said, what this co-host has stated as the quintessential mm. James Bond film. I was going to bring I'm, that up I'm later. Gonna but, make, uh... I'm going to make a strong 90 plus minute mm-hmm. argument for that. I you don't to... feel that this is the quintessential James Bond as I said previously, I think it is coming down the backside of getting a little too campy, a little too Austin Powers. Mr. Mr. Gold, uh, Goldfinger over here. It's still a great movie. Yeah. I don't think the quintessential James you, Bond. You don't think so? You mean think Gold, I don't? I don't think so. Oh, you don't. I don't. Think. I don't think Goldfinger is as an established yeah. everything yet. I think they Thunderball everything. Yeah. Thunderball. That's the film. Some so of the huh? some of the other words you've said. Mm-hmm. Since you've already Dude. taken the wind out of my sails of what I was going to bring earlier, mm-hmm. fun. It is a fun film. It's a fun film. It's a successful film. Very. Still by modern day standards. Awesome. It's a generic, it's a generic one, mm-hmm. but gadgety. A little bit. That's one of your words. And last but not least, Academy Award winning. These are all things I'm going to talk about. Later. It is an Academy Award winning film. Mm-hmm. It's not a, the sound of music, but it definitely. <laughs> Or a Dr. Shavago. Yeah. Both winning five uh, awards. In 65, right? Yes. Yeah. And we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Shortly. In about 10 or so minutes. Mm-hmm. But before we get too far, of course, we are here to talk about Thunderball. Released in December 9th, 1965. It is the eighth Bond novel and was translated into the fourth Bond film. Starring the one, the only, Sir, Sir Sean, Sean Connery. Connery. Directed by Terrence Young. Produced by... Kevin McClory. You're- so a lot of legal, a lot of legal. So we talked about this in the first podcast. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody coming to uh, Thunderball as a diehard uh, fan doesn't realize the legal, you know, battles that ensued. For those of you coming fresh to Thunderball or just watched the film and never realized there was a struggle to get this film on, um, we'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. We'll go into a little more detail on it. So this is one of the few times where you're not going to see uh, Harry and uh, Cubby. As a producers, it was presented by okay, that's whatever the fuck confused. that means. Yeah, yeah, but they weren't producers. <laughs> presented, presented by, by yeah. or they produced it. Yeah. yeah, or one would say okay. another way of saying that is to uh, to produce. Ian Fleming gets a writing credit 
on this as does as does Kevin McClory and Jack Whittingham. Mm-hmm. If we're saying that correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh I don't know. What else you I don't think we have to go through all the stars. No, I think I think that's the big hit, that's hit, where we are. Hit some of the drama of uh, what the... what is Thunderbolt? What mm-hmm. is the film we're talking about? I will talk about the gross because I do enjoy that. Made it for nine million, gross one hundred and forty one point two, which translates I have this number written down somewhere. To a whopping six hundred twenty seven million five hundred seventy two thousand and zero cents. In today's dollars? Yeah, which makes it the 29th most successful film of all time. So, big deal. Really big deal. Yeah. And I do... Skyfall ended up surpassing it, right? Yeah. It, was, it held it the record a, until they Skyfall. Broke, they broke a billion, didn't they, Skyfall? I think Skyfall. Worldwide? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, question for you. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And we know that previous films can increase the earnings of... The next film, how mm-hmm. much of that was the film's own merit and how much of it was coming off Goldfinger? Well, Goldfinger, this is, I really didn't realize this because obviously we're going off of official release dates. We went through the first podcast and I rarely look at the U.S. premiere. I'm always looking at when it's premiering in London or, uh, for example, um, A View to a Kill released in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So a film like that, I'm looking at the San Francisco release date. Um, in America, Goldfinger and Thunderball released in the same year. January and December of 65. Did you realize that? No, I did not know. Only that. year in America, two Bond, two Bond films in one year. It's crazy. Which, yeah, too crazy to think about. You did. How long are we going to wait for the Spectre sequel? Um, I have my money on, I took a, I did a poll. Mm-hmm. I forgot who was running it. I said 2018 without. Without Craig. Without Craig. That was my guess. They better get moving if that's the case. You just film in late 17 and you release Remember, they're, they're doing, uh, November, December releases. Yeah. From here on out. They've stuck with November. Um, throughout the Craig Eric's, I've seen them actually going back to Pierce. So I've been seeing them on my birthday mm-hmm. since November. 15th. Goldeneye. Well, for, you know, for, yeah, but yes. Yes, absolutely. <clears throat> so when we step back, we're not in our normal recording studio. Yeah, we're, uh, with Studio B. Blofeld's cat. That's right. Mm-hmm. Nice to be here. Yeah. Nice, uh, change of pace. Little more uh, arm room. A little more arm room. And then the modified I, studio. I feel like we're on a little bit of a heat lamp again. Yeah. Not as bad as, uh, not as bad as Studio A. Yeah. Little. Is, uh, is the, is the studio in, uh, in, in southern Jacksonville? The southern United States? Mm-hmm. Is it, are we gonna just have that as Studio J? Can we just call it Studio yeah, J? Yeah, let's, let's just mark that right now. Yeah. 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 Outside in the Florida humidity. Sweltering. You're going to be like, what's that noise? Oh, it's just the, you know, frogs and cicada bugs constantly yeah. chirping along. And then alligators eating them. <laughs> You're not really near alligators in the, uh, your Jacksonville home, are you? I hope not. How far do you think you would have to walk to see an alligator from your Jacksonville property? Nearest golf course. Really? Yeah, probably. When we played, when I went with you and we played, it was in the middle of winter. And so we were able to play because the temperatures oh, were fine. You, you but the, the ground right. was trash. Yeah. If you chipped it into the green, it would literally bounce 15 feet in the air. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? All I remember from that golf trip was you constantly complaining, if I had titleless balls, if I had titleless <laughs> balls, I'd be playing so much better. I didn't have my clubs, and I had some bullshit balls. <laughs> These Wilsons aren't cutting it. <laughs> I need 20 more yards. I'm not getting it. Sure. Not that you're a shitty golfer or anything. <laughs> the ball. Had nothing to do with it. Anyways. Okay. Where are we going with this? How, how you doing? I'm, I'm doing well. 
Nice to be here. Still got the gray patch. Did I have the gray last podcast? I don't want to have this beard anymore, but now it's just kind of like a journey. Yeah, you have to. I thought you were keeping it through the boat. I'm keeping it through the boat and Mm -hmm. going out to the ship again. And I'll probably keep it uh, through into September. That's when I'll have it. And I'll probably shave it off. But then winter's right around the corner, so what's the point? Both your kids are old enough that facial hair doesn't trip them up, right? It's not that they look at you and they're like, you're familiar, but... uh..." I think if I keep going, if I go too long with this, they're going to be, when I shave it off, if I do totally clean cut... It might shock. Like if you showed up from the boat clean cut, they'll be like... Yeah, hey, you've been gone for uh, almost a month, and who are you? Who are you again? We had, we had already forgotten about Dad, you know, so... Yeah. Could be. I hope not. Yeah. How are you doing? All right. Living life. Good. Trying to figure out why uh, Apple keeps... Uh, how do I put this gently? Screw Lying to us? <laughs> Great free service. Come on. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. Uh, what is this like? Uh, Monica Brilliant. and uh, what was the other woman's name? Uh, uh, Brianna. Brianna. Great help. Yeah, wonderful. <laughs> I somehow doubt that whoever sent us that email was named Brianna. I'm or not going to go that path, but you got to say in there. We just don't know what we did wrong, and I doubt it's going to be wrong. fixed by the time this releases. What is it? The 43rd content. This, yeah, we we've released quite a number of podcasts so, to just have one error, but it's playing on the desktop. Which is confusing. But it's not playing on the app. Yeah. It's playing on Stitcher. It's not playing on Podbean. Confusing. It'll stream, but I don't know what else. We don't have... It's frustrating. We'll just, you know, try it again. I think you have a path forward. We'll try yeah, that. I'll then... just edit another podcast again. Is it really going to be that much work? It was it actually that... You know, it's a shorter podcast. It wasn't that hard to... No. It's like 20 It's not like this. This is going to take a hot minute. But, uh... Yeah, so maybe we should get that resolved before you try to go down this path. Probably. All right. I'll release this one before I... Uh... Go back down that. How'd you feel about Thunderball? Still, it's a good film. Still a top tier James Bond film. Yeah, I think so. It was a uh, number eight for me. I think it could potentially move up. Number three for me. Yeah, that's a little bit of a difference. Did it jump up on Skyfall? Mine or Skyfall and from Russia are beating it. I don't think it it moves. Well, I think for me it it does possibly move because I have License to Kill in front of it. Mm. So, I think that's a movie that I'm going to watch again. And until I watch it again, I think Thunderball definitely moves up. I guess the big question is, does it go across, does it go ahead of the Spy Who Loved Me? Mm. So that might be might be tough. I think so. That's a good one. At the moment, I think it's I think it could go ahead of it. But but then next in the list is Spectre. So I think that's still fresh in my mind. You know what's real? You know what's weird? I'll mm-hmm. say this here instead of a, at the end of the podcast. Sure. And I never thought I would have this idea. As I'm preparing for this, I thought to myself, I hope we get to do a Roger Moore one next. We'll see. We'll see what happens. We don't get to dictate these kind of things. But, uh, in theory, we have the highest odds of doing one next. There's more... More Moors. Although, statistically, there's a greater chance of not doing a Moore than there is of doing a Roger Moore film. Touché. Yes. My math is bad, but it's not that bad. Because we have 22 unknowns and we have seven more films, so yes. Okay. Where are we going with this? It's 1965, right? You know? Well, we're still we're still kind of in the intro. We're just uh, babbling. Flushing it out. Yeah. Want to get started? Sure. Ready Absolutely. to bond? Absolutely. Let's do it. So he strikes black thunderbolt. He knows the meaning of success. 
So here we are in the A block. This is our mission brief. We're gonna set the table. I think is oh, like you know it. we're still figuring out. Again, we're still figuring out the four guys. Only it's only our second one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll probably get comfortable around the twentieth, first <laughs> one we do. But at some point we'll figure out. I mean, I feel at, at the reviews. What at what review did you get comfortable? I, I make a joke, but we had this discussion. I think a little earlier. Well, I. Whenever I tell people to listen to something, I tell them to listen to Thunderball. Yeah, so our fourth one. I think that's where we hit a stride. Yeah. We went back a little bit. On Her Majesty's was kind of a, a step back for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think with Golden Gun, mm-hmm. we step back up. And mm-hmm. then from there, you have... A lot, of, a lot of cursing in that one. Yeah, there is. But it was fun. It was fun. Um, and then you have The Spy Who Loves Me. Uh-huh. Which was a, a movie or the spy we both loved me. If you know actually the titles of the films, that's exactly what I said. And then, and then from there, I think some anger and discontent with Roger Moore fueled. Yeah, at the end, from you, heavy yeah, from you. The next number one, yeah. and then I think we were both very excited. It was a breath of fresh air. They're in Timothy Dalton, and then yeah. we get into the bonds that we were alive for. Yeah, so and, and it, Pierce was fun for one film, and then I was like, can we just get through these last three? Pierce was please? fun for two, for you. Yeah. There's nothing to do with Thunderball. Yeah. Yeah, we're kind of back to Thunderball. Yep. We bring that up that that uh, we brought it up because again, the point of how long will it take us to get comfortable? Uh-huh. It took us four last time. Yeah. So hopefully three will get a little better. Yeah. Maybe during this one, yeah. we'll start to get a little comfortable, but as I'm as, feeling good. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. Okay. But we uh we bring that up to say that we're still trying to figure out the format mm-hmm. and how exactly. So we're we're looking at block A as our our table setting. And so we're just going to kind of take a, I learned just moments ago, a 3,500, 35, <laughs> 35,000, 35,000 yeah. foot view of, uh, of everything. <laughs> Damn it. This is cruising altitude. I, I discovered yeah, roughly the cruising altitude or an airplane. Yeah. So that's the kind of view we're going to take okay. right now. Block so what it. stands out to you? Thunderball. Somebody says Thunderball was the first pop that, you know, after you said it, I really think it is a fun film. It mm-hmm. is something. It, it it finds the balance of fantasy, spy fantasy, and realism. There's a lot of realism, and we talked about it in, in the previous podcast. You know, it has the rocket belt jetpack, but even which is real. Yeah, I know. Which which is that's actually the perfect analogy for Thunderball, because here's this thing so far fetched as a rocket belt that can propel a human into the air and land them, mm-hmm. and it's real. Right. So the fact that it, it seems far-fetched, it seems unreal, but it actually is a real thing. Right. And even the fantasy, I'm going to argue about later when we get into the history of the time, I'm going to argue that it's rooted in a realistic fear. Yeah. So even the fantasy, I feel, it has some realism, mm-hmm. which is very different from a film like You Only Live Twice. Yeah. Which its fantasy is just some bravado fantasy of... Yeah, we can we can okay. turn a white male into an Asian man. Sure, just like that. sure, that's a thing. Yeah, men come first. Right. Yeah. Do you want to talk about how we uh, we're kind of in a in front of a live studio audience? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit different here. Can we say the word live for our podcast? Is it not really? 
it's live for us. But. I mean, they're going to be in there unless you're a great editor. I mean, mm-hmm. you are a pretty good editor, but Thank it's going to be tough to get into the weeds. And, Thank uh, you. Yeah, we've got, got a couple of people in here. Yeah. Main Girl Friday's over there. Mm-hmm. Hello. Hi. There, you, there she is. <laughs> she now gets credit. There she is. So, fun film. It's a great we, film. We agree on great. You would use the word great? Would you, would you? Yeah, I would. Would you start? Would you say, hey, guy, that's Bond for the non-Bond. Would you start someone that has never seen a Bond film at Thunderball? Would that be okay? It depends. Would I start Main Girl Friday on Thunderball? Probably not. She's shaking her head no over there. Really? I, she sat I, down at the tail end. And so she sat down in the part where um, it's the underwater scene with Domino. Oh, that's... Okay. And then they all the bubbles and they go and so he they have relations. Yeah. The movie leads you to believe. And then they're on the beach. Mm-hmm. And she was like, who is this woman? Mm-hmm. I was like, and I argued, I, th- I think you missed the more powerful female character. She's already dead. Fiona Volpe. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So you came in at a hard time. Yeah. Um, but she, she's gotten some pretty hard, hard introductions mm-hmm. to the Sean Connery area. The last time, her last experience, we're, we're watching, uh, Four Year Eye, or You Only Live Twice. Mm-hmm. And that movie comes on and she had walked in, I think maybe 10 minutes into it. And it's just like Asian face. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what the fuck is this? Yellow face. You're gonna have to edit that out. That is, you're gonna cut it right there. Cut How it. is that less offensive than what I said? Yellow face is the term that people use. Like blackface, yellow face is the term. I just feel that it's more offensive to say yellow face it than it is to because it is offensive. The practice is offensive. Yeah. Or is this picking all this up? It is. <laughs> So I chose to say the least offensive way to describe an offensive thing. It's called yellow face. Right. She said it, not me. You're cutting all this out, right? This is in. Okay. This is in. I'll leave soon. No, stay. (laughs) Stay. This is actually, it adds an element that we haven't had before. So she walks into that part and then literally walks out. Uh Uh-huh. I was like, what? When? And it's it's that. And dude. It's not a fan. Are you a big Lebowski fan? I am. Dude. Dude. Asian American is their preferred nomenclature. (laughs) Uh, anyway. So would I start? I would. Let me cut you off. I you would not. I would. You would. I would say, and quintessential. Maybe on some days I I would go that far, but I would. I think there are some people, especially maybe our age generation, which have never seen a Bond movie and have only seen Austin Powers. And I think this movie does justice to a lot of the fun things that Austin Powers did. You see, but not only that, you I know you, you only spoof twice. and parody. Something that's worth spoofing and parody. Absolutely. And so why I argue that Thunderball hasn't reached over this, this so pendulum hasn't swung too far. Yet. Hasn't swung because it's Thunderball phenomenal. sets a tone, I think, for not just spoofing, but for spy films in general. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's still at the point where this is a model that's going to be followed. Yeah. When you think of a spy film villain, when you think of the set, you know, like not the set pieces because other Bond films do set pieces some better. Great set pieces, yeah. But just the, the beauty of the ocean battles and how it's set up and the plot. Like there's an actual plot with stakes, mm-hmm. you know, at, in, in this film. So I don't think it's, it hasn't started to crumble into itself. Yeah. You know, yeah, the I gravity, that... you know, hasn't sucked it in, which yeah. it, I think you only live twice. Yeah. It, it, it just falls, it falls under its own, own pressure. Own weight. Yep. Right. 
That's a, a perfect, uh, perfect ex- explanation. And then so. Diamonds Are Forever, I would argue Sean Connery is doing an impression oh of Sean Connery God, yeah. as James Bond. Yeah. At that point. Yeah. But this film, I would say, is one of his better. He's so confident in this film. He sets up what James Bond is, just every aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's to a T. Like, this is, if somebody said, what film, why do you think Sean Connery is the best James Bond? If I had to watch one, watch, Th- watch Thunderbolt. Even over For Marshall's Love? As why he's the greatest, I have him ranked number one mm-hmm. as James Bond. Watch Thunderball. Yeah. Oh, good points. So hey. I think, which leads us, you know, the film's place in the series. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm going to say really high, you know. Yeah. That's, I think we kind of blended those two conversations. Um, I could see it moving up on my list. So, I mean. Hopefully it does. Any given day. It's hopefully. in the top tier. All right. I can confidently say it's in the top tier. Maybe even the part of the top, top tier. And the fact that so many people have seen it, it's made the most money, you know, until Sky, or yeah, exactly, until Skyfall came along. So not only is this a film that has, in my eyes, become the quintessential Bond film, not only is it a film that has set the tone for other spy films, not only is it a film that is spoofed by Austin Powers and any, like, SNL, anybody who's making fun of what is James Bond, Mm -hmm. um, it's also a film that more people have seen. Mm-hmm. It's made this amount of money. So in the eyes of the public, when they think of James Bond, it's Thunderball. Yeah. And I'll argue, maybe not in this podcast, but in other podcasts, why some films struggled so hard um, to reach you know certain levels. It's because I would say, until Goldeneye, you have The Spy Who Loved Me reach the level that Thunderball was at. And then every other film is trying to get to that. Mm-hmm. It's trying to be something that it probably shouldn't be. And then Goldeneye came along with enough swagger and confidence to just say, we're our own thing. Mm-hmm. And then it reached that level. And then Pierce falls into this micro, this smaller same problem where the rest of the Pierce films are like, we need to be Goldeneye. Mm-hmm. And then I feel that we in the, the Craig era, they, they don't give a fuck. Like they're going to do their own, they're going to be their own thing. Yeah. And you get that when you get to say the words reboot. Yeah. You get to refresh everything mm-hmm. and just do what you feel you need to do. And I feel like I've been, uh. On the soapbox? Yeah. <laughs> Let me get off and, uh. No, I think those are all fair points. And the story around the film, do you have anything you want to say there? I, don't, I really don't think there's, you know, we're not alive yet. That's no. a piece I'm going to get, you know, more into when, mm-hmm. you know, films, even when we do the next podcast, or Never Say Never, like, mm-hmm. I remember, I remember that film. You know, it, it came out the year. I was born, but I remember that in the TBS, you know, series, seeing that a lot more than I remember seeing a Thunderball. Really? Yeah. So I don't have stories from 1965. So. Yeah. You had you had said that you would ask your father. Mm-hmm. Did, you, did you remember to do that? Did you ask your dad? I, I did actually. I I told him about that. Yeah. Was he 15? We, we were. Yeah. We yeah. were we were doing a very uh, Maryland thing and having crabs out on the back, eating some boil or steam crabs on the mm-hmm. back, and I told him about that, and he got a chuckle out of that. But I, I really think I'm going to get more out of that 18 plus, you know, when he's older. 15, I think. Uh, raising hell. And having where, where's asked, he from? He's, he's from a, Michigan. He's from Michigan? Yeah. Having not asked him, I think he, in the back of his mind, was uh, very much Vietnam's out there. I'm getting older, but at the same time, I'm just a little kid, you know, type of thing. So yeah. He, it's going to be tough now. at, oh, at yeah. 15. Draft. Or, yeah, was a draft way... going on yet? 
they hadn't started it. I mean, you had to register like we do. Yeah. But they haven't. They hadn't. Uh, they hadn't started the draft at that point. But yeah, because I, I do big know war. That, I mean, my dad enlisted and took us. You know, this is not relevant here, but just to finish the, the conversation, he you know he enlisted to control his destiny mm-hmm. rather than wait to be enlisted or right. wait to be drafted. So. Because yeah. when they drafted you, they drafted you into a service, right? You couldn't yeah. say. Yeah, he had a great uh, when a great story. I, I find it very amusing, and you know, you know, we think about what happened to some of these guys down the road. But you, when you when you go to your, it called it's called MEPS. Mm-hmm. When you go to your enlisted physical, and he was in uh, there was the people that enlisted and the people that got drafted, and in the line they used to say one two three Marine one two three Marine, and every fourth person got drafted in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. And the faces on the guys that got drafted in the Marine Corps, you know, scared to death, you know. Right, Marines especially in Vietnam. Line. Yeah. That's, so. that's an amphibious war if there uh, ever has been, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, so it was just, it was interesting to hear those stories. So, so if it's one, two, three Marines, so one, two, three, is it necessarily Army? Mostly Army. Mostly Army, yeah. Uh, I know my dad, when he was look, looking around at services, uh, he looked at the Air Force, and the Air Force had like a two-year waiting list. Sure. Yeah, no, he wanted to do, he wanted to do aviation-based stuff, so he's like, oh, mm. I'll go Air Force. But he ended up going Marines and got attached to an air wing. Okay. Electronic warfare stuff. So. Yeah. All yeah. right. That makes sense. Yeah. So 1965 then is a year. Then there's a perfect transition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the 35,000 overview. Mm-hmm. And I think 1965, if you make a list of top 10 transformational years mm-hmm. in American history. I would say um, a certain part of 64 to 65. Yeah. That, those 12 months, I would say, would be in the top 10 easily. Really? Yeah, as a, as a time that just changed the country. And we'll, we'll, get, we'll deep dive into that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but in how, you know, we're table setting, how does that affect the film? I think it affected the, the purpose of film. Was film just about escapism or was film about escapism, but also having some commentary based in reality? Mm-hmm. You know, so we go from a time where you get into your purely entertainment films that are just telling stories to the idea of film as a tool to say something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that you have those great years with film noir where it was a medium of telling a better type of story. But film noir really wasn't trying to say something. It was just a better way of telling that story. And then you have years where the storytelling got better. Mm-hmm. The devices you use to tell those stories. And then I feel in the 60s, you get a generation of Americans who have grown up studying film. They just get into the industry. They've studied it. And now they're trying to say something. And I will argue later in this podcast that Thunderball is trying to say something. And that something is these weapons. Of mass destruction. Mm-hmm. There's something to be afraid of. Yeah. They're a tool that can be used. And that was a real fear of people in that generation. You know, you, you had drills where you hid under your desk. Yeah. What that does, if there is a bomb <laughs> dropped in your city, yeah. I'm not sure, but it, it was a real thing. Yeah. You know, and, and we were, we're past the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that, I guess, in, in Dr. No, mm-hmm. um, from Russia with Love time period. But it's still, it's still a genuine fear. It's, it's almost, and I think it helped drive Thunderbolt. Relevant today, too. it is. It is I like mean, this is something that could happen. Yeah, the, yeah. two with, warheads with could of, go missing. With the fall of Soviet Union, right? Lord knows what other things are being sold from there. You know, exactly. It may not be an an evil organization called Spectre. Maybe some other 
mm-hmm. acronym, you know, yes. insert here. So. Right. Yeah, it's true. Anything else in '65? I think we'll we'll deep dive, dive a in. you know a little a little more. Okay. I, I think that just sets the uh, the table mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. I think it's a good table setting. I think so. All right. Want to want to get into wanted to get into the Thunderball now. Thunderball. Let's Thunderball. jump into Thunderball, I do want to make mention of the fact that we are at a new studio, so there is some moving around of things. We're on different chairs. Mm-hmm. Old, kind of, um, what's the word I would use? Uncomfortable? Wooden, rickety, uncomfortable? Yes. So you're going to get some background noise. So it, I think it's fair to say that if one were to, I don't know, review a <laughs> podcast, especially a 90 minute, a 90 plus minute for your eyes only... That maybe you would comment or review more than just the background noises you heard. Maybe attention to detail, though. Yeah, yeah, those kind of. I details. appreciate the, cri- the criticism. Not, not is the content good. <laughs> not is the, uh, the the podcast all right? Pierce Brosnan level. Could I hear some chairs? Pierce Brosnan level means we're the handsomest of all the podcasts. That's something, what that means. Something like that. Something like that. So Thunderball. Yeah. Reviewing. What's your... Uh... I, I, I just... You know, it's hard to do this one when I was preparing for this. I was just... I thought we did... I thought we did... Not to pat ourselves on the back too hard. But I thought we did a great job reviewing it the first time. I think we both like the film. We do. Some have said it's the quintessential James Bond film. Some people sitting in this room. Um, so, I mean, it, it's just... It's a solid film. Mm-hmm. And it's... it's Again, another quote. It's fun. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if there's a ton of... A ton more to say about it. How much more do you want to dive into it? And the podcast is now over. Thanks for listening. Thanks for... Next week. <laughs> I mean, is there something in particular you want to talk about? I don't know, maybe I don't know. Break it down a bit. Are there any scenes that stood out to you? You know what I really want to do is compare it to Never Say Never Again. But we have a whole podcast know, coming out I in know. two weeks. I know. We'll we'll compare how because I, I'll bite my tongue. Yeah, we'll we'll do that comparison. In two weeks, in our next review podcast of Never Say Never Again, mm-hmm. an unofficial James Bond film that's owned by uh, Eon Productions, so. It is not? I, they, they were able to get the rights in that whole 2013 that allowed them to do Spectre. Everybody has a price. They have the film now. But no, what really happened, and, and I think it actually happened before 2013, the studio that owned the rights to the film was bought out and bought out, and then eventually Eon Productions was able to buy out Whoever had the rights to that film, so now it's in their Smart. it's in their catalog, but it's still considered non-canon, which it's, makes sense. It's like octopusy level, good for your eyes only. You think it's better than that? Really? All right, we'll save that for we'll yeah, save we'll save that, that for that discussion. Um, so 
then let's do the reverse. Maybe we'll we'll do it this way for you. What did you not like about the film? Let's en- let's enter Thunderbolt that way. Oh, so something that stood out to you. It was a good film. I really didn't not like a lot about it. We're deep diving here. <laughs> We're deep diving. Let me dive and then you follow me. Okay. How's how's that? So right off the bat, I really enjoy that Sean Connery finally gets to do a gun barrel. I don't think I talked about it in the last one. No, I, you did. I, I noticed that in this one, mm-hmm. the background is not white. Yeah. It's, uh, they actually have that gray, brown. Uh, brownish gray. Gr- yeah. That was really jarring to me and I didn't like it. Uh-huh. And so now I hate it. Yeah. But I don't, I don't like it. Craig... Did one in that tone, I thought. One he of, he one did when when they have the uh, Casino Royale. Yeah. So it's not the traditional um, background, but it, it was at least done with enough artistic sense to look at it and be like, that's pleasing to the eye. Mm. The brown one looks like uh, poop. It just, <laughs> it's not pleasing. It's not pleasing to look at. Yeah. I wasn't thrilled. wasn't thrilled with that. So so just off the bat, I'll, I'll talk about that. This mm. is an Academy Award winning film. Yeah. Um, Except for Ken Adam. No, and that is for John. I have that written down here. Give me one second. Because it was John for, Steers for visual effects. Visual effects. I. I Ken okay, Adams is set a set. Piece, He's set, a set pieces piece. are different than visual effects. Visual effects is when you look at the filming like that's a beautiful underwater. It's the the visual. Gotcha. All that. Wouldn't that be directing? No, uh, because what the director and the cinematographer and the visual effects, it's all. All very different works. Okay. So that's, you know. I'll tell you what I love about the film. Yeah. Fiona Volpe. You want to break it down? You want to kind of break it down piece by piece? Sure. So, do you have anything to, anything? On the negative? On the gun barrel? Uh, As I said previously, it's, I know they changed. I know they actually have Sean Connery doing it. Mm Mm-hmm. It was fine. It wasn't that big of a deal to me. I mean... I know you talked about the the whole, it's a hip turn now. Is yeah. It, it's not a hippity hop. A lot of hippity hop. These are words <laughs> I've said. But, I mean, it's fine. George Lazenby has a better gun barrel. He has a solid gun barrel. Yeah. yeah. An athletic mm-hmm. gun barrel. Opening scene. I have it ranked pretty high, number five. Mm-hmm. I have my rankings in front of me, so for those of you listening at home, this is unfair. Mm-hmm. Um, because I found a printer that does legal. <laughs> size printing, so I printed a legal size and an eight by fourteen of my uh, my running rankings. Mm-hmm. So it's not, I don't think, fair to have Scott guess where mine was. F- at. Force him to guess. But d- did you did you enjoy the the Jacques Bouvier? Um, yeah, I thought it was. What I really liked about it was um, we got to see DB five. Beautiful car. Yeah, beautiful Always car. And uh, it was a great transition. A strong female character. She was pretty strong. You know, maybe a, a reason to get Peyton to start the movie from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Truly an equal. The French agent. You think so? Not only truly an equal, but a film that you that can that has some that has some sense of being multicultural. Mm-hmm. A French Asian or well, yeah, she is French Asian. I I would mm-hmm. I guess that's how you uh Correctly said. French that. agent of Asian descent. She's all those A's, Asian descent, an agent. Mm-hmm. But Bond treats her as an equal. Are they flirting a little bit? Sure, but she's an equal. And the review podcast made a big stink about oh how's this jetpack get there? <laughs> she did that was a favor. I, she did that as a favor. Do you think so? I think the French set that up for him. Absolutely. Just in case. And then he escapes and Because I think he had no plan of going out that door. Because I thought about that long and hard. I was like, well, okay. He knew he was going in there to kill him. 
Absolutely. Why would I not put my jetpack on the roof? Can we talk? Can we stop real quick? Sure. My favorite part of the opening sequence is the choice to film Jacques Beauvert Mm -hmm. as a woman. An actual female is playing the actor, is, is the actor, excuse me, that's playing Jacques. And then it's a female when she gets into the car of the church, when she gets out of the car of the house, when she walks into the room, mm-hmm. and then there's this jarring cut where it goes back to Sean, comes back to an actor that's, that's clearly a man. <laughs> that's definitely a man with a man's legs and a man's build. <laughs> and then Sean punches him. Yep. And just the special effects of having yeah. the woman's face on the shroud. I, I enjoyed that. Um, going back a little bit to the gun barrel sequence, mm-hmm. um, I would say that it, where it was nice to see Sean, I think this is one of those rare instances where um, George Lazenby definitely did it better. Um, Roger Moore even oh. does a gun barrel, yeah. you know, a lot better. better. Mm-hmm. And it was jarring the background choice they had. Ooh, that dirty brown. Yeah, I'm not sure at, w- at what point everyone saw the films, they saw the dailies and they were like, that's a good choice right there. That's appealing to the eye of 40 foot screen. Taupe? Yeah. You have a taupe background we can put up there? Jeez. But a good, good opening sequence and, and a great song leads to a great song. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately leads to a plot that I enjoy. What are your, what are your thoughts on the Thunderball plot? I, I, it's, you know, it's, uh, it holds, it kind of holds up. I mean, it's always a constant threat of, uh, losing control of nuclear weapons or atomic mm-hmm. weapons at the time. Um, I think it's a good plot. It's a a suspenseful plot. I mean, I don't think it's that far fetched. Right. Um, we talked a little bit earlier in the in the A sequence, and and maybe we can, you know, go a little deeper into this. I wonder if that plot point is mm-hmm. as relevant. And, and you you brought up that it might be as relevant today. Mm-hmm. So I think in 1965, when you look at the history that we'll get into in the next segment, um, that it that choice. To use the the plot point of stealing two nuclear weapons mm-hmm. is something that was a real fear. Yeah, like this is this is a weapon that at any time Russia can launch over. Then we run, and it, it just mm-hmm. you know bad things can happen. Mm-hmm. And to use that like the the fear point of the time, I thought it was smart. Um, and you see modern day films doing this with you know hacking and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But here's an actual weapon that that actually is tan there's tangible fear attached to it where yeah. I think it's hard in modern days to do a spy thriller in which the enemy is the NSA yeah. stealing your data like how do yeah. you create a thriller yeah. out of that like who are you chasing and and you could say that the the threat today is as real if ever you know with the fear of ISIS and mm-hmm. you know the, the collapse or ISIL of, depending on yeah, who you talk to right the collapse of the Soviet Union you know the you know Weapons falling into wrong hands. It may not be an evil organization like Spectre, but it could be. It's a very, very possible threat. Mm-hmm. You know, to lose track of. I mean, how many, how many atomic slash nuclear weapons are in the world? Like tens of thousands, I believe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's kind of a scary thought. And and the audits they've done on the on the Russian, um, especially the the old satellite states mm-hmm. where. There's dozens of them that mm-hmm. are out of track. Even here in America, there was an audit just done. I remember a few years ago. What's one or two missing? You know, no, no big deal. Well, they well th- this was an audit. They they essentially they walked right into one of the silos, and it was like a a corporal. Somebody is just like, "Hey guys, yeah, yeah, you want to come right in?" And they're like, 
Well, this is an F, you know. Do you you're have not any gonna... keys? We'll turn them at the same time. You know? He's like, oh, I thought you were supposed to be here. Else, you got onto the base. Well, you can't assume that guy. You got a cat card? You can't... come on. <laughs> you made it this far. Come right in. You want to see them? You want to take them out for a spin? Yeah, it can happen. It could. It's kind of scary. Yeah, it's, it's, it's surprisingly more relevant today than it probably was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, 15 years ago, probably. More the time frame, but... What do you feel of, uh, of Sir Sean Connery's version of Bond in this movie? Was it was, it, his peak? it was, it was, it was to was, me his peak. It was his peak performance. Yeah, movie? and I, we it stated wasn't this an earlier. Film. You don't think it was Goldfinger? If if somebody wanted to stack up the best Bond portrayal that each of the Bonds did, mm-hmm. I would say you bring this to the gunfight for Sean, and you lay this one down. This is his his most confident portrayal. Yeah. Um, and I think what makes this different is. The fact that it's the best portrayal and one of the best movies, which is different than Pierce. We talked about the frustration with Die Another Day. Mm-hmm. We loved Pierce's portrayal of James in that movie. Absolutely. But they surrounded it in a shit, shit movie, movie, which is frustrating he to was, watch. That was by far his best version of Bond. Right. Yeah. Right. Grizzled. He'd been there. You know. Yeah. Exactly. He'd seen things. He was confident in the role again. He was having fun with it. He was relaxed. Mm-hmm. And then just poop. Just poopity poop. Yeah, All I, around. I, I find it hard to, hard to argue that. So, I mean, you quintessential know, you know, a, film. It, yeah. Quintessential plot. You know I'm a fan of Goldfinger, but I think this is one of his best, if not his best, uh, version of Bond. Which, so we can pivot from there, from, from Sean to maybe, um, some of the co-stars. Mm-hmm. I thought this film, especially early on in the series, and, and in an era where it kind of struggled with, Racial tones and gender tones, especially mm-hmm. coming off of Goldfinger. Mm-hmm. You have, I think, a good portrayal and a strong portrayal of women characters. Yeah, you have, absolutely. You have a counterpart and the French agent. Mm-hmm. I would say uh, Carla as well. In the field agent in Nassau. Yep, very strong. Hard to say a, an equal in the sense that she's not a double O, but I feel like Equal in the sense of they're both contributing to the mission moving forward. I'll say the scene I loved her, I loved about her, and I'd say I'll put her on the, I'll put her on an equal level was the game she played when Domino was there and and they had on, to they had to but, fake start the boat. Yes, I guess I'll take a ride. You know, she just played the game so well, right? You know, to get I the, thought they had good, good chemistry ride. together. Yes. Yeah, I you know was... who didn't have good chemistry together? Who? Um... James Bond and Domino. I agree with that. You know I've complained about the... You know who does have great chemistry together? Uh-huh. James Bond and Fiona. Absolutely. Yeah. One of my... I've got plenty of favorites. I wrote this down. Mm-hmm. You can make a counterpoint. Is this the best all-around Bond girl cast? Yeah. It's like a four-second silence. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Bond girl cast... Or do you want to narrow it, scope it down to villain, the, the femme fatale? Is this, is Fiona, is Fiona Volpe one of the best, if not the best femme fatale in the entire franchise? I think she is. So you're putting her as a femme give, fatale? Give me a second. Who's, who's, who's going to go above her in femme fatale? You're looking at Goldeneye? Yeah, I was going to say, on the top, is, is she ahead? She's, she's in the game, for sure, but. So the femme fatale character, doesn't quite come up as often 
in James Bond as people think. Mm-hmm. Pierce Brosnan made it famous because you have on on a top, mm-hmm. you have Emma Frost. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's she's um, not a. Oh, actually, no. You made the argument. She is the definition of femme fatale. Yes. So that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, because we know Fiona Volpe is a villain mm-hmm. the entire way. From the James game. doesn't. Yeah. But we know. Okay. We so don't know Emma. Frost... But we'll use a term, but we use it loosely. Yep. Someone who deeply enjoys film noir. We apologize to Double O Pops. I know. Mm-hmm. He follows that. He probably cringed at the incorrect <laughs> use, but let's use it loosely in, in yeah. a general sense of a a female character who the the character thinks is with them and then turns on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in that sense, we'll use it incorrectly loosely that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have her, you have Anatop, you have uh, Emma. Um, you would have going into the Craig era, Vesper. Would you put her in that category? I think by definition, you she, she knew she was going to turn on James but, pretty early on. She's with the character. We think we, she's a, character. She turns on the character. She did turn with no ill will towards Bond. Maybe financially you can say that, but it's not Bond's money. She's not that ignorant to not have understood what was going to happen in that situation. I'm going to go. I'm going to put her below. I'll just go ahead and tell you. I'm putting her. If we're going to butcher the argument. definition. Mm-hmm. I think we put her in the and for to answer your question is Fiona number one. I think she's I think, in. I the, think no. I think she. I, I think to your to to the the, the definition of femme fatale. You, well, if we're going to go to the definition of a femme fatale, <laughs> then she's not in the conversation because she's not okay a femme fatale. All right. If we're so you're if, talking your way out of it because you don't want to compare Vesper and Fiona Volpe. I don't put I don't put Vesper in the villainous category. So now we got femme fatale villainous. Uh, female actors, badass, uh, Fiona Volpe. Uh, this is a long way of saying we both enjoyed Fiona Volpe's character. Absolutely, she's one of my one of my favorite uh, femme fatale villainous, whatever mm-hmm. hench hench women you want to put on the top. Whatever it top. is that we're putting out there. Yep. The scene that she has where she rips into James. Mm-hmm. We'll play it again. Yep. Right here. My dear girl, don't flatter yourself. What I did this evening was for king and country. You don't think it gave me any pleasure, do you? But of course, I forgot your ego, Mr. Bond. James Bond, who only has to make love to a woman, and she starts to hear heavenly choir singing. She repents it and immediately returns to the side of right and virtue. But not this one. I love that. That's a great... Is second to maybe only... Dame Judy Dench and Goldeneye ripping ripping into Pierce for the idea of a Cold War Mm -hmm. version of James Bond. That might be the only takedown of James. Mm -hmm. That, and I don't know if it's a takedown, but Vesper's speech. Those three Mm -hmm. are are together bar none in the entire series. I can't even think of anybody competing against those. You know, we, we brought up on a top, but I think she she falls. But no down. one really breaks down the character. Yeah, like those three women. Um, I didn't know, and we, and we had talked about in our review.
So as I was saying before, the pizza guy came to the door. <laughs> Jeez. The pizza. Yeah. Some somebody here apparently is uh, having low blood sugar and needed to mm-hmm. eat in the middle of this podcast. I didn't realize we had talked about in the, re- the review. We speculated mm-hmm. that the producers said we needed to answer all the negativity from yes the uh, pussy galore mm-hmm. scene, et cetera, et cetera, and had created this this speech that that Fiona said. <coughs> it turns out I sorry, yeah, no, that happens right there. Yeah, choking on that uh, pizza. Mm-hmm. Turns out, from, you know, I read on the internet, as Donald Trump tells us, everything on the internet is true. <laughs> that, that was actually taken from a critique that was written in a British paper about, um, James Bond, that they lifted it, which, if, if true, and, and as, as I said, it was on the internet, so it has to be true. Snopes.com. Exactly. That is a bold move by the producers or those who presented the movie, because they weren't producers. Those who they presented, were presenters. they were presenters of of the film as a response to that critique. Do you applaud them for that? I do. I, I think so I do. too. I mean, like like you said, <clears throat> and you said in the previous format, uh, a my Koopa. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that was. I, I, I applaud them for doing it. Right. Although at the shower, or not the shower, the. Uh, the massage oh, scenes oh, the at the beginning. The I beginning know, they were like, get off to a little slippery slope here, but. A little, little bit. A little bit of the, uh, forced kissing and the, uh. Yeah. Yeah. Watch yourself, Mr. Bond. Mm-hmm. So the villains, we've talked about the, the Bond girls. I think we're pretty positive on that. Do you like Largo yeah, as a villain? Absolutely. I was wondering if you're going there. Cause yeah, absolutely. I really like Amelia Largo. I have them in my top tier. I was talking about this earlier off off the off the podcast mm-hmm. that analytically, Thunderbolt probably should, should be, be my number, number one, one mm-hmm. because it, when you look across the board in the rankings, it is top tier, mm-hmm. and no other film clears the board like that as, as Thunderbolt does. But your love of from Russia is like my love of Goldfinger, just blind and and from a from a deeply rooted childhood mm-hmm. childhood place. Absolutely. So Largo. But- Largo overdubbed for the most part. Yeah. Which adds a certain twist that I want to get deeper into on Never Say Never Again mm-hmm. because the original story. So Kevin McClory, mm-hmm. for those of you, we, we said we'll talk about a little deeper here, here later. Kevin McClory sat down in 1958 with Ian Fleming and they were creating a plot for a book or for a movie. Excuse me. They're creating a plot for a movie. This was going to be the first James Bond movie. Mm-hmm. They're working on it. Kevin McClory goes off to do another film. That film bonds. Ian Fleming was like, I don't want to do business with this guy. No. So the deal falls apart. Ian Fleming had had enough of a discussion that he took a lot of parts of what they had talked about and he writes Thunderball. Kevin McClory sues and says, you have things in there that are my ideas. Mm -hmm. Spectre, the cat, the um, stealing of the nuclear weapons, Blofeld. some of the characters, Blofeld, he claims, was his. So Thunderball couldn't be the first movie. Um, the producers wanted it to be. Dr. No ends up being the first movie. They finally make a, an agreement with Kevin McClory, so which is why um, in this film the producers are different. It's Kevin McClory instead of uh, Saltman and Broccoli. And... Whittingham? He's a writer. Mm-hmm. He's a writer on this film. And so anyway. And so the... Sidetracked you. Si- yeah. Yeah. But back on track. 
So the original plot of the film is not, or the original idea that Kevin McClory had was not Spectre, mm-hmm. but that a group of Italian mafiosos really had, and for the movie, when they were doing the treatment for the movie script, mm-hmm. um, that it was a group of Italian mafiosos. So the actors that were hired were hired to play Italian mafiosos. Mm-hmm. So the actor who plays Largo is Italian. And so his character's overdubbed because they thought his accent was entirely too thick. And so a lot of the actors and henchmen that they played, everybody was hired for this plot and then they pivot. Which I don't mind. It works better that Spectre is the organization. However, I'm going to make a strong argument when we do a review here in two weeks that Kevin McClory should have used that idea and never say never again. Instead of recycling essentially the same Spectre, plot, but yeah. doing it worse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's going to be my point. That was really the, that was really what they did? When they did the original the draft one of the script uh-huh. for the movie, mm-hmm. it was James Bond was getting two weapons back from the Russian, the, the, the Italian mob Mafia. had, wow. had somehow gotten two <clears throat> nuclear weapons. I like Spectre a lot better, but I agree with you, you know, having that already, that has already happened in Thunderball. Right. Never say Do never. the other thing Do you own. Different. You own the right to that. Or you better fucking nail Thunderball, your version of Thunderball, out of the park. Which, I hate to say, not the foreshadow. It's hard to do. He didn't do. When Thunderball's already been hit out yeah. of the park. Yeah. So, I mean, that makes it tough. Yeah. So. You know what we haven't mentioned this entire time? Underwater battle. We haven't talked about the underwater battle a little bit, but mm-hmm. I just want to stop at how much I enjoyed Q in this film. Everything you give me. treated with equal contempt. Yes, I know, but that's an underwater camera. It takes eight pictures in rapid succession by pressing that button there. Is that clever? But if you can take pictures in the dark with an infrared film, yes. I feel like it's been a while since I've seen a Q film. Mm-hmm. And I feel I've always enjoyed whenever Q gets out of the office. His little Hawaiian shirt. Mm-hmm. He's feeling fresh. Don't touch that. A little sassy. Don't touch that. I love Q. I missed him. Mm-hmm. No, that was a great scene. He's wearing his wine shirt. You're a big Q guy. Mm-hmm. You're also a big M guy. Mm-hmm. I feel like we haven't touched on M. M's your guy. This is bigger where... M guy. Yeah. Yeah. Bernard Lee's by far my favorite M. He's back, making Which... a defense of James Bond several times in this film, where everyone's like, "Bond's an idiot." Well, there was a photograph of that man in this dossier you gave us. His name is Deval. Well, I saw him last night at Shrublands. But he was dead. Oh, no, sir. Not possible. He was seen boarding the Vulcan. Took off last night. If 007 says he saw Deval last night at Shrublands and he was dead, that's enough for me to initiate inquiries. Oh, well. Yes, sir. Of course. Again, foreshadowing. Yeah. I hated the M. The Never Say Never Again. He was a tool. He was a twit. Let me give you the exact definition of was. But he's by far... This is... Uh, Bernard Lee's version of M in this film is probably my favorite Bernard Lee. Would you say quintessential? I would say the quintessential. Where he openly defends James Bond and busts his balls when he's late to the meeting. You know, he was... A little loose ends and we'll tie up this segment. Uh Uh-huh. Do you think you could still go to Nassau and ride a turtle? (laughs) Do you think that's a... Is that like something, a package they sell? Probably You could swim out to this grotto. No. Grab a turtle shell. No. Right it across the waters. I think it's been picked clean by two billion tourists, honestly. 
The turtles. The turtles and giant the, turtle the, soup is that what you're saying? Yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, coral reefs and all that stuff. Peyton, are you awake? What? As somebody who cares about the environment, would you be offended if somebody you knew rode a large sea turtle? Like, climb on their back? Oh, definitely. That's really... I mean, I think... I just think that's disrespectful. To the turtle? Yeah. Yeah. That was in this film. I don't like that. Yeah, Domino. Your favorite character. She seems awful. What if the turtle was voting for Clinton? Does that help? <laughs> no. I'm voting for Clinton. For Trump? Oh, for Trump? I just wanted to find an angle to get politics in this. All right, and then last but not least, and we'll be done with this segment, I want to talk about one scene because there's maybe some slight controversy, and we talked about this off off record. Something we might add to this, and I think it'll be fun, is to take a scene of the film and kind of like break it down. Mm -hmm. Watch it, pause it, commentate it, look at it. It's like a nice little five-minute segment. We're not going to do that here. Just briefly, I want to talk about the scene where Fiona Volpe dies. Mm -hmm. So there's some controversy. But I also thought it was filmed wonderfully. Mm -hmm. That was one of the few parts in Thunderball where I thought the soundtrack was spot on. Mm -hmm. I thought the camera cutting, the cuts were really great. The suspense was building. We got a wonderful quip from Sean at the end. Can my friend stay here? She's She's dead. dead. (laughs) But the controversy may or may not be, do you feel... That she was killed in cold blood. I never felt that way. So I, you I felt, felt it was an accident? It was in self de- no, it was in self-defense. He purposely moves her. I mean, he has no other play to kill the guy with the gun. His only play is to use the other bad guy, Fiona, to be the human shield. And it was in self-defense. All so day long, I feel that way. Does Fiona know James is about to be shot? I honestly don't know that. I don't think so. Does James know he's about to be shot? Yes. Does James make a decision to pivot Mm -hmm. so that Fiona is facing the bullet? Yes. Is that killing in cold blood if she didn't know that he was about to be shot? Do you agree that Fiona was a part of the bad guys and had henchmen... Yep, and had henchmen working with her. So by the translation property, or the associative property, pick your math, Mm -hmm. they were on the same side. Mm -hmm. So, yes, she knew that she had people that were going to try to kill Bond. So the fact that she was there as a part of the bad guys, it was self-defense. Okay. I have no problem with what happened. I think people who are closer to the books have a problem with what happened because James specifically states his belief in not killing someone with cold blood. We'll get to that when we could do Dr. No again. What defines cold blood? I don't understand. So if I just shoot you right now, that would suck. Yeah, that would suck. (laughs) You're not threatening me. You don't have, you don't have a means to kill me. So isn't Fiona though, ultimately a hand of the group that is trying to kill Bond. My argument is that Fiona set this up. Yeah. So Fiona knows this is going to happen. So she's guilty. So she should have pivoted. Blood. It may be lukewarm blood, but it's not cold blood. I have no problem with what happened. Okay. She was a villain. 
What was he supposed to do? Get shot? Yeah, yeah. What's the alternative? She's pretty. Look at this girl with red hair. I'll just die. No, I think you did the right thing. Yeah. I have no problem with it. Just like I have no problem going to the next segment right now. Ba boom. C block. We're still kind of figuring out what this last segment's going to be. I want to dive a little bit deeper into the time period mm-hmm. a little more. Mm-hmm. Talk about um, as much NASA related information as <laughs> we already talked uh, Talked all the NASA we're going to talk here for a little bit. Um, with, with this film, Thunderball. So, Thunderball released in 65. Obviously, we weren't alive to see it. But we have talked about extensively our experiences with the uh, TBS and TNT marathons, the Bond and Christmas, all that kind of stuff. Yep. Do you remember Thunderball in that rotation? What's um, your experience with Thunderball? When the first time you ever saw it? I honestly think it was one of the, the least amount of the movies I've seen in uh the like the TNT TBS marathons. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember I, it being that. Hard. I'm I'm the water sequences. <clears throat> I remember seeing when I was little. Mm-hmm. Thunderball was a movie I had seen definitely in pieces. Mm-hmm. The opening sequence, not the opening sequence, but the opening part of the movie where he's in the rehabilitation center. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing that. I remember the water sequences. The middle part of the movie, and I don't know if maybe TNT edited it differently. I just don't have that kind of memories. No. What's weird to me is Never Say Never. I feel like they played more. I uh, I think so too. Especially that and Dominator I, scene like, yeah. where they're playing the game. And I had seen that plenty of times to the point when when I was younger, I thought Thunderball was the remake. Mm-hmm. I've never, even though like I should have <laughs> realized that Sean's older in the first one. Yeah. But to me, like when I'm watching the, the rehabilitation scene, I was like, Wait, he's not there for fun. He's there because MI6 sends him because he's old and he said, what's going on here? Where's the guy with the eye? What the fuck is, where's the guy with the eye? <laughs> and it's not until I got, you know, a little older, I was, you know, a, teen- a teenager that I was like, wait a minute, what the, what the fuck here? Mm-hmm. TBS. Yeah. No, it's kind of the same way. I, I don't remember seeing it that much on. Maybe on... because it was newer that they played at Morks. Maybe. We, we saw those marathons in the late probably, 80s, honestly, early 90s, so it's honestly, only a 10 year old movie. Cheaper. It was probably cheaper to get license or whatever the rules were to play it. On. Since it was a fake Bond film? Yeah. They just played it like 20 times a day? Probably. And they played uh, Octopussy and For Your Eyes Only. All the time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we don't, that's, I mean, that's our experience with it. Um, you know, life stories, we, we're trying to fit this in a little more as, as hard as it may be. The last movie we talked about skiing for a little bit. I've never been. Um, You've you ever been to the... Have you ever been to the Bahamas? All the time, born and raised. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, I've never, I know you've been on cruises. I've been once. Okay. I was actually thinking about that when we were preparing for this uh, podcast. I was like, you know, I grew up in West Palm. Let me count all the times I was in the Bahamas. Uh, never, never growing up. It was one time on a cruise ship. Was it? Was and it, it was a... a private island of the cruise ship. So okay. I've ne- honestly, I've never been to the Bahamas. Have you been scuba diving? This is why it takes place under, underwater. Yeah. I'm a horrible swimmer. Really? 
Yeah. I, I don't think you need to be a necessarily a great swimmer with scuba. Because you have a tank? I mean, you have a tank. Uh, have you snorkeled? Let's go there. Have you snorkeled? Like with like the dollar store versions of snorkeling, like not anything. Have you snorkeled in water well over your head? Or have you snorkeled in like the breaking water of a beach? Yeah, the second thing. Okay. <clears throat> when you snorkel in water that's well over your head and uh-huh. you're wearing flippers and you're in like 45 feet of water, yeah, that's snorkeling. Until you do that. And then it's like... I almost think scuba scuba is almost easier because you have a uh, cylinder of oxygen on your back. Uh huh. Where where snorkeling is, you need to go over the fear of ah, if I don't stop if I stop kicking, I'm gonna just drown. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, long, I mean, long story short, they're all really fun. I mean, you get to be underwater, and either you have you have breathing air on your back, or you have to go up to the surface. But yeah, you should definitely do that. Yeah, I'll, I'll try it and drown and die. And then it's like, <laughs> we'll do it after we're done with all the movies. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I, I want to work on my swimming. That's mm-hmm. something um, in my life I would like to get better at. You've made it this far. You probably don't need to. I also have like shitty ears. Mm-hmm. So I get a lot of ear infections when I'm in the water a long time. You know. You get a lot of water in your ears? Or? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. like the water just stays there. And I get like. Hold your head to the side a lot and wait for it to drain out. It's just like a canal of, I don't know what happens. Mm-hmm. And I hate. I know people listening like, well, get the earplugs, you dumbass. Mm-hmm. I, there's something about that, that sound, like when your ears are plugged up, mm-hmm. that just bothers me. So I, so I gotta just find, I gotta just have some give or take. Just, yeah, you just yeah. needed to stay out of the water, I think. Uh, that might be, that might be it. That might be it. So. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Alright. So the film sat, Takes place, released in 1965. I had mentioned earlier, if you take the top, like, ten transformational years that occurred in American history, that I would argue that there's a span between 1964 and 1965 that would rank in in that top ten. Mm. And so, 1964, and maybe we get into this a little more in Goldfinger, but the Civil Rights Act... You have to argue it's just one of those monumentally shifting moments in American history. Mm-hmm. 65, dealing a lot with the aftermath of that. So you, you take this 12-month span. But culture shifts. And not to get too into politics, but when people talk about, quote, making America great again. I Who think there's – I, I don't know. I've heard it mm-hmm. in the in the media. I just want to make make America mediocre again. That's yeah. all I want. Well, like when were we not great? Like when was the, absolutely when was the time where we yeah. ceased being great? Mm-hmm. You know, I, mean, I don't I don't know that time. Seventh in education, fifty six in healthcare. Oh, I'm sorry, we're getting a little too far down. The... Sure, are we not the best at all things? But are we not a a great country? We are great. It's not I like mean, his slogan is yeah. make America the greatest again. Yeah. Which, that would make that's sense. That's actually a valid point. That, but that's... to say make America, like, are we not great? Yeah. You know, there can be many great countries in the world, which I think there are. We're, we're great at defense, I can tell you that. We're, you know, great at a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Being fat. <laughs> greasy foods. Uh, exporting jobs. Right. Hip hop. <laughs> that's a positive, actually. <laughs> that's actually something we do well. We do. We do. We do that well. Baseball. So, yes. Well, actually, you know. The Dominicans the may be doing it a little better. Yeah. 
But when people I, talk, I, I, okay, I'm, I'm yeah. gonna cut you off. Yeah, and more gonna, things I'm, we're I'm gonna, great at. I'm gonna let you get on your on your. I just think people are gonna listen to that and take that out of context. That we're, I'm not pissing on it. I, I'm just poking at like there's room for improvement. Okay, well, there always is. There always, is. and that's part of what being great is about is yeah. is reflecting and growing. Yeah, and I think there's a difference between the greatest mm-hmm. making something Favorite. the greatest again mm-hmm. and making something great. And I, I I don't know if there's that you can say that we're not great. We're great. But anyway, when people talk about making something great, making America great again, uh-huh. and the good old days, mm-hmm. I think that is a time post, or excuse me, pre-1965. Mm-hmm. When your hair was short, and you wore a tie to work every day. Skinny tie. And you came home, and your wife had dinner. She better. And your son was listening to jazz music. And black people lived on the other side of town. Yeah. And then 1965 and 64 are happening. Things and change. all of a sudden people are moving into your neighborhood. Yep. And all of a sudden your wife is saying, I should probably get a job as well. I can do that. And your son's growing his hair a little more. Yep. And he's listening to Elvis Presley sing black people music. And mm-hmm. it's like, wait a minute. What's going what on? What's going on? And you have Muhammad Ali is your world heavyweight boxing champion at a time where your world heavyweight boxing champion was one of the most important people in the country. Yep. And you have Lyndon B. Johnson winning the election on his own right, who signed the Civil Rights Act. Mm-hmm. The country's changing. The The British invasion has happened. Music's changing. Fashion is changing. Where people are living and where they're allowed to be is changing. We're in the height of the Cold War mm-hmm. at that point. And all of that, I think, feeds into this film. It seeps through a little bit into it. We talked about uh, earlier in the A segment that we have filmmakers making films mm-hmm. to make and state something. And I can't stress the fact that as, as plain and silly as it seems, Ian Fleming knew what he was doing when he created and wrote about Spectre. Mm-hmm. This is a man who was in World War II, whose intelligence, who created a lot of what James Bond and MI6 was in his novels based on some point of the real world. Mm -hmm. And the fact that this is a film in which they're chasing, the MacGuffin of this film, Mm. is these two weapons Mm. that when you went to the theater in 1964, that was a real thing thing that you were seeing up there, portrayed back at you. And the answer was, you know, at... You know, James is a British character, but still, the answer was, we have people. We can save us from this. Mm. There's a role for government in this. We are fighting the Cold War. Mm. And at that time, and still to this day, us and Britain, NATO allies, you know, our, our great special relationship, that's what the Cold War pretty much was. And I think the film was sending a powerful statement. In response to that fear that groups can do something like this, but we'll, we'll get them. We have people on the front lines, womanizing, shit beating, <laughs> suave dressed people yeah. taking care of this. Yeah. And I don't think it's just a silly throwaway film that some people may look at the James Bond series and just say, oh, they're not really saying anything. Some of them did say something. This is one of them. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I, I think there's, <clears throat> you know, it, it, it was, on point for the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that those are valid points. And looking at, you know, the height, Vietnam, you talked about your, your, yeah. your dad 
it was something on his mind as a 15 year old man, which yeah, is had to be crazy to think about. Yeah. You know, we were 15 years old. I mean, one of the more 15. peaceful times in our, in our country. Yeah. You know, what oh, are we worried yeah. about? AOL? Like, yeah. Can the dial up be any faster? Like, <laughs> how long is it going to take me to get to, uh, look at some pictures of some ladies here on this new interwebs? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, when you look at it, when you look at it that way, that, that put really puts into perspective for, for me. It's just like you think about, the concerns, and shoot, what was I, uh, 1997, what was going on in the world that I was really concerned about? Oh man, I may have to go and serve in, in uh, the armed forces and go help in Bosnia. I mean, not to take anything away from the people that served in Bosnia, but it definitely wasn't the fear of being drafted and going in, you know, to South Or the cities living through the, uh, you know, Bosnian situation. But still. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean... Uh, but just from my, you know, my standpoint of a 15-year-old in 1997 or a 15-year-old in, in 65, things were a little better in 97. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a little less concerns with the 15-year-old. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed a little, you know, segue or, or, or sidestep back. The fact that, let me look at my notes here real quick. It was Spectre Agent number 5 mm-hmm. who was getting the, what was it, 250000 for the fee for the British train robbery. They snuck that in last minute. There was a real life event yeah, that, that really was, happened. That was, wasn't it? And they, there was, at that point, they had not, I don't think to this day they've solved it. Maybe they have. I'm not too versed on it. Check our corrections page. But yeah. at the time, they had not solved that's the British right. train robbery. I, I had and not they had linked this, those together. Fuck, Spectre did it. That's right. Look at this. I had not linked that together. That's Which awesome. I thought was really cool to fit that in. Yeah. Um, just like this pop culture. Yeah. And was it Diamonds Are Forever? James Bond makes the, no, it was Diamonds Are Forever. Goldfinger. The, the moon landings. Goldfinger, he makes fun of the Beatles. Yeah. So the British invasion was happening. Oh, yeah. So, sounds better in earmuffs. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So just, I, I thought, I thought it was funny. I don't know if funny is the right I word. I hadn't linked it together until you brought it up. Just yeah. Now. So the different specters, just to go over those, uh, the movie, when it was 7, 10, 5, 11, 9, and then number 2, mm-hmm. uh, which is Largo. And five was the one involved in the British train train robbery. We had been asked by one of our listeners, was that scene with all the Spectre agents, was it, quote, too campy or just right? Just right. I thought it was just right. Me too. I thought that scene was less campy than all the double O's meeting in that giant ass conference room. I, I would agree with that. And I would put it on par, and maybe this is giving too much credit to Spectre, but I enjoyed the Spectre around the big, the the the, uh, the Spectre meeting in, in the movie Spectre, mm-hmm. where we meet uh, Christoph Waltz's version of Spectre, yeah. uh, of, of Blofeld for the mm-hmm. first time. I thought they were both done very well. Yeah. Um, A little and, uh, and realistic. Were, yeah. And, and clearly they were paying respect to Thunderball's meeting of the uh, agents, if you will. Spectre mm-hmm. Agents. Mm-hmm. The other big thing from 65, and I'll only talk mm-hmm. about this because I know your your wife's mother. Mm-hmm. Just a great story to, to hear from her. Mm-hmm. Um, from her, uh, first time I ever met her, she found that I was a Beatles fan. Mm-hmm. She was at the Shea Stadium 1965 concert. Mm-hmm. That's a thing that happened. Yeah. And 65, the Beatles, the first outdoor stadium concert, 56,000 people. She must have been 11 
she was pretty young, but yeah. she was there. Yeah. And just to hear, like, I had only read about people describing it, but for her, she was way up in the nosebleeds, if I remember her. Yeah. Describe, but just the sound. And her, you know, like, her dad all these years. hated being there. Yeah. All these years later, and she can still remember the sound of just these screaming fans. Mm-hmm. And then she just read it from the books. Like, the Beatles hated it. Yeah. They couldn't hear themselves. They couldn't hear anything. Just, like, screaming. It's one of the, they stopped touring after 66, which is a nightmare for them as musicians. Yeah. But just, you know, like, everyone's so excited about this. They probably didn't even hear the music. Yeah. Like that's, she doesn't talk about the, when, when she told me that story, it wasn't mm-hmm. about the music. It was about the being experience. there and just, just everyone losing their fucking minds. Yeah. Because the, it's the Beatles. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. Which parallels two British things coming over. This is also the height of the spy mania that was growing on. Obviously not the same level, but the fact that I think it foreshadows when the public gets obsessed with something. Mm-hmm. We're going to see here in You Only Live Twice the media or the frenzy around Sean Connery when he goes to Japan and Japanese culture, when they get into something, they get into it 100% complete buy-in. He goes over to Japan and had a horrible experience in Japan and they they didn't protect them against that. Maybe as a British company, they should have seen like fucking look what happened to the Beatles. Yep. Maybe we should protect our asset a little. And I I made that argument in our review podcast. Uh, they definitely did not view him as the asset of the right, franchise. Right. He was still getting a shitty deal. Yeah. Such a such he did so ridiculous. well in this film. Yeah, ridiculous. The amount of money, the return on investment and to not I, I don't know. You know, and we're so far removed. Maybe they tried. Maybe they made some petty offer. I don't know, but just the amount of millions he should have been receiving right. to keep him happy. But the then every, everything they threw at him when he does never say never, mm-hmm. did you the the amount of control he had over the film? No, I, I didn't look into that level. It was we'll talk about it, mm-hmm. and in two weeks we'll get a little a little into detail. But it it was entertaining to say the least. Anything else in nineteen sixty five you want to talk about? I have a whole list, but I don't want to get a uh, too into it. Uh, the Canadians got a new flag. Yeah, that's that's crazy to think about. I know sixty five. I didn't realize it was. Sorry about that. That's right. I thought that was, I always thought that was their flag. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought like, yeah, this is our new flag, you know, eh? Apparently it's a modified flag. Yeah. Can you imagine that? So that's 1965 for you. Year in I, turmoil, year in change. I got one more for you. Mm-hmm. I think it's very appropriate for the Bond film. Do you know, excuse me, 1965 was also uh, the first year that all the health warnings were required to be on the cigarettes, on cigarette packs. No, I didn't. And did you notice that James Bond did not smoke? He did not smoke in this film. What a coincidence. Yeah. That's interesting how that happens. Mm -hmm. The series will also do that in the 80s with um, James Bond and sex because of the AIDS epidemic. Oh. I even remember... James Bond. Public health servant. I'd sign up for that. Yeah. I'd buy that. Yeah. on a poster. Stop smoking. James did. Mm Mm-hmm. Bad for your chest. Remember they talked about that in the next movie? And they had a cigarette that blew up? Yeah, absolutely. Kills you. Smoking kills you. Anything else? You ready to bring it home? Yeah, we, we can... Oh, you know what we... we <laughs> let's end it on two things. Two uh-huh. serious things. Yep. So, civil rights. Absolutely. And Malcolm X is assassinated in the, oh, in the right. March on Selma. Yep. Selma very, very memory. important. Yep. And then a very solemn note. The man, the myth, the legend... Oh, 
the other person you have hanging in your studio besides Sean Connery. So, let me set it up. When you walk down into my basement, mm-hmm. some might say Studio A. Yeah. A plus, depending on where you're at in the studio. Greeting you. Greeting you with a fat stogie hanging out of his mouth. Yeah. Is the one, sir, Winston Churchill died 90 years old, 1965. The largest assembly of statesmen. Mm-hmm. Record wouldn't be broken until John Paul II. Wow. Passed away in 2005. Have you even scratched the surface on the life of Churchill? I mean, I, looking at his Wikipedia page, and a colleague of mine at work had read his book, and it, it is, there's so much. What he did in his life is so much. There's a reason he is widely regarded with such esteem. Mm-hmm. Enough so that they named a cigar after him. Yeah, that's that's one way to look at it. It is. <laughs> it is. That, Winston Churchill, Ernest Hemingway, mm-hmm. great men. Mm-hmm. Do you think anyone, if anyone today were to pass away, they would draw that kind of community of statesmen? Is there anyone mm-hmm. with that kind of gravitas at this point in history? No. JP2. I can definitely see that. He lived a lifetime, did some great work in World War II, he was arguably a, an okay pope, mm-hmm. some would say. Nelson Mandela's already passed away, I would, he would have been on that list, but I don't know if there's anyone with that gravitas around anymore. No, I You know what? I take that back, and we're both morons for taking this long <clears throat> to, to put it together. Mm-hmm. Her Majesty, Queen Elizabeth. Such a lifetime. What country? Yeah, I don't know. Would not pay their respects. No, I, I got to tell you though, I'm going to shoot you down right there. You don't think Queen Elizabeth and her and her her country the sheer she, respect of she everything have, she's lived through. Wh- when did she take up? When when was she in? Like in, 53, I want to say 53. The she world became the was queen. At peace. For the most part, anybody that served in Korea would argue that. But she's like outserved. I, I just don't every Ch- really Churchill. They were they were on the verge of losing everything. But I think sheer respect Britain. to just the length of her monarchy. Maybe that world leaders from across the world would go to her her funeral. Okay, yeah, I'm sure it's a huge monumental event. But the for... changing of the British monarchy, like oh, yeah. the like the last. Monarchy mm-hmm. on Earth, powerless monarchy. Yeah, but still. Yeah, I don't. I, but I'm know. pretty sure they can get great reservations. Yeah, I'm sure. But you know, just the, the prime minister power of you know Winston Churchill. You don't was. think she would match the the kind of no. reception that JP two got? Yeah, yeah. And he got more people than Churchill, so I think by extension, yeah. I just said that that record stood until John Paul II. All right. Well, I guess I'm wrong. All right, let's bring it up. All right. Good morning, people. I just landed in your town. Good morning, people. I just landed in your town. 
Next week, no podcast. Really? Yeah. We're bi-weekly. On good weeks. If we stay on schedule, in two weeks, we will release the next in our review series. A review of the remake of Thunderball. Never Say Never Again. Never again will I watch it. And then in one month, we're going to find out with you as you're listening. Random.org news. Okay. We don't have our bucket in the this studio, so we can't draw from a bucket. So a computer-generated NSA-monitored website <laughs> is going to dictate to us what our next four, next four Your Eyes Only will be on the first Thursday of September. And it will be... Drumroll. Generate. Number 13. Number 13. So let's figure that out. Um, so Roger Moorefield. It is definitely Roger Moorefield. Spy Who Loved Me is 10. For Your Eyes Only is 11. Guess which one it is. Octopussy. Which is great. For, or is it For Your Eyes Only? Nope. Number 13. Octopussy, which could be, could not be a better For Your Eyes Only after we do Thunderball. And then because of Thunderball, I said, hey, let's do a review of Never Say Never. Uh-huh. As we're both watching Never Say Never... I said to you off the mic, I said, we probably should have kept Never Say Never until we did Octopussy, Octopussy since they competed against each other. Yeah. And here, this NSA, this wonderfully created website. Should we take a picture of it? Has monitored. People are not going to believe us. I'm going to, I'm going to take a picture of it. They're not going to believe us. We'll tweet it. We did not rig this as much as it seems rigged. Are you looking forward to talking about this movie or not? You know, I said, I don't, did I say this on the mic or did I say it off the record? After, while we were preparing for this, I thought to myself, and I never thought I would have this thought. I said, I really hope we get to do a Roger Moore film next. I didn't want to. That's for sure. And, and you said, statistically speaking, we would. Mm-hmm. Statistically speaking, I said, we, we would, would not, not be. But we will be. I'm kind of looking forward to it. Man. You like Octopussy. You made this great. And I said I like two-thirds of Octopussy. I do like Octopussy. I thought it was a pretty good movie. All right. So if people wanted to download our podcast or listen to it when it's working, where could they go, Scott? You can go to iTunes. For yeah, for the most part. Definitely on the desktop. Yeah, desktop will work mm-hmm. uh, apparently all the time. Yeah. If not, you can go to... Stitcher, mm-hmm. Podbean. So you can stream it mm-hmm. from our site. What is our site right now? Uh, lionicepodcast.com slash bondingoverbond. But if you went to our official site, what would that website be? You can always go to bondingoverbond.com. And it'll take you... Anywhere we... Anything we ever mention. Yes. Twitter, Facebook. What is Facebook? Bonding Over Bond. Yep. Just search for us there. At Bonding Over Bond on Twitter. And all else fails, you can email us at... Bondingoverbond at gmail.com. That's a fact. Remember, make sure someone knows where you are at all times. Have an escape plan. Then, get paid in full before your dumbass steals two nukes for a global operation of evil. Thank you for bonding us with this... (laughs) Thank you for bonding with us here at Bonding Over Bond. Until next time, shake it. Don't start. I admire your luck, Mr. Bond. My name's Bond. James Bond. Thank you, Mr. Bond. Name's Bond. James Bond. Okay, so what's your audience called? We, we, we don't have a name for them. You don't call them anything? We, 
we haven't really Christianed a name for our audience. You should probably turn your phone off. Recording. Um, you don't talk to your audience when you're recording your podcast? I mean, our, all the entire podcast is us talking to our audience. Is it, though? I don't Who am I speaking to? You're, you're, folks. You're hey speaking folks. to the folks, yeah. And you're so you call them folks. Folks. Hey, folks. Just folksy folks. Sure. They don't have a name. Maybe they could uh, give themselves a name, and we'll start calling the, our listeners. Okay. You're, so you say you're listeners? Yeah. Hey, listeners. Hey, listeners. That's Bush League. Okay, so, hey, listeners. Stay tuned if you want to hear a alternate version of... What are they listening to? The An alternate version of the beginning of Segment B. What's Segment B about? The movie. Am I supposed to ask what seg- why is it called Segment B? Well, we don't have a name for it yet. Okay. I have comments, but I'm going to keep them to myself. What comments could you possibly have? I think it's sad. You don't have a name for your audience. You don't have a name for your segments. It's just sad. It's just sad. A little bit. Okay. So, but you want me to call them listeners, your listeners. You can call them whatever you need to at this point. All right. Hey, listeners. Um, stay tuned if you want to hear a alternate version of the beginning of segment B. Perfect. You're welcome. Thank you. So what did you think of the opening sequence? I'm a big fan of it. Mm-hmm. I have it ranked pretty high. And my rankings, I have it in the top tier. Um, want to refresh the memories for someone who doesn't remember what the opening sequence was? Yeah, so the opening sequence in this film is the funeral of Jacques <laughs> Bouvier. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, absolutely. Number, spec number six. You don't find that out at this time, but he, we know that. Um, James Bond and a French equivalent mm-hmm. are looking for the balcony of the funeral. James is there because he has an interest. And Jacques Bovert killed, quote, Why? two yep. um, colleagues of his. Do you think those two colleagues are double O's? I have to believe so. I think they are. Yeah. I think James would consider other double O's as colleagues. Yeah. Um, Enough not to necessarily the funeral. Yeah, not just an MI6 agent yep. um, or an MI6 worker. Field being agent. Yep. Yeah. An, an actual double O. Um, and then James gets a whiff of suspicion. Mm-hmm. Because Jacques Bovert opens, opens his, his own, own door. door. I mean, honestly, that is this. Oh, that's how you give it away. That's a rat right there. It's the difference between a double O and a Spectre agent. I guess. The details. <laughs> in the details. In that scene. Mm-hmm. The act, the actor who gets out of the car is a lady. The actor who walks into the room is a lady. Mm-hmm. And then there's a cut. Yep. A very hard mm-hmm. cut. Yes. Where it goes to Sean Connery and then comes back to a man. Clearly a man. Who has this horrible effect of a woman's face. Yep. As the shroud. And then Sean Connery punches the man in the gut. And I thought <clears throat> it was hilarious. Yeah. Because it's clearly a woman playing the woman. And it's the first time the series goes drag. And they do it again in Diamonds Are Forever. Okay. So it's just it's just weird. Like, that is the starting point of, like, why they decided to do that. Like, what was the reasoning? 
Why would you attend your own funeral? Did, he, did, Jacques, did, yeah. did Jacques Bouvier kill his wife or hide her somewhere mm-hmm. and then attend the funeral on her behalf so she didn't give up the fact that Jacques Bouvier was alive? What happened there? There's yeah, a no. deeper story. Mm-hmm. We talked about it in the review podcast. You've seen it again. Do you think when Sean Connery says he killed some colleagues of mine, are those double O's or not? Double O's. I think so too. <clears throat> Which brings the grand total of double O's in this film to 11. Yes. We see nine double O's and then two mentioned. Yeah. I think it's the record in the series of double O's seen and mentioned. Yeah, it has to be. Which means That's two guys of... in that room are new double O's. They're being hazed. They're currently being hazed. It's probably double O four and double O six, the guys that were slumped over, friggin' didn't want to be there, that were tired. Right. From cleaning everyone else's <laughs> rooms and bringing condoms to everyone late at night. What kind of hazing do you think goes on for uh, an MI6 double O agent? <laughs> Long, dramatic pause. Exactly. It's classified. It's classified. <laughs> <laughs> so opening sequence we like. Is that is that fair to say? Can I say that? Yeah, it was a good opening sequence. Okay. It was a good song. You know, Tom Jones doing the, the long Thunderball. So we were posed this question by Double O Pop. Mm-hmm. Thunderball or Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Easy. All day long. I, I tweeted that when, it, when the first question first came out. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a softball question. Mm-hmm. No question whatsoever to me. Thunderball is by far better. Not only better than Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, it is a top tier James Bond song for me. Yeah, it's up there pretty high. The man literally poured his entire body into the song. <laughs> literally passed out. Passed out on that last note. How about the rest of the soundtrack? Did you enjoy did did that I haven't listened to it on the level, to be honest. I haven't listened to it on the level like as a re- as a record, it's not course. as enjoyable of a listen yeah. as on Her Majesty. Because as a record, the soundtrack to this movie was much more low key. Mm-hmm. So the record is is it's great sleeping music. Really? Yeah. But other than that I thought the soundtrack served its purpose. Um I don't think it was as good as On Her Majesty's. Mm-hmm. There were points where the the soundtrack was a bit jarring. And then the editing, and I don't know how it sounded in the theaters, but when you're watching it at home, there are points where it's just like, holy shit, this got loud real quick. And so this was a film where I was moving the volume up and down. Um, and that also is probably because I was watching it late at night when <laughs> people were asleep. But you could keep it at one level. And then the fight sequence would happen and you have to lower it. Mm-hmm. And then Bond would be talking or flirting with somebody and you have to bring it back up. And then a fight sequence and you have to bring it back down. You can just keep it at a... I feel like I'm not contributing much to this conversation right now. How about the plot of the film? Did you like the plot? I thought it was good. I mean... Was it believable? Yeah. I, You know, I, I kind of shit on it in the uh, our original format. But, mm-hmm. you know, all of it is relatively believable except maybe for the facial reconstruction stuff because of the time period the time period or because john travolta and nicholas cage Hadn't didn't have a face off yet <laughs> that's believable yeah that's absolutely believable do you think you could do that in 2016 that you can face it like if you were the same height as someone well i mean ultimately here's the question right the question is because blofeld's going to do that in Two movies because you see him in oh then the, yeah for the first time you see him in, and you, you only live twice so yeah and on her Majesty's you get 
Terry Savalas. Uh, Telly Savalas. That's right. And then he does it again in Diamonds Are Forever. Right. Well, he goes back to more of his natural state. Yeah, so it's just like old and diamond. When they didn't have it's the rights to call him Blofeld. We just cut faces off like nobody's business. Maybe they invented face off. Maybe they did. Yeah, they kind of did. They should sue face off. They should. Where, where are we going with that? That you don't think it was believable in 1965 that they do I, oh, I two years all, of facial. It's, it's a specter thing. Ultimately, the question is when he got to the base as a NATO observer, uh-huh. who knew him? I don't think really anybody knew him, so he, they, knew they could him. have had a half-assed facial reconstruction, and as long as he kind of looked like his badge, they could have pulled that off. It wasn't like, oh, hey, uh, uh, not Count Lippy, but um, Domino's brother's name. Welcome, come join us on our flight. It was, we have a NATO observer here. Mm-hmm. He's going to watch us do a test mission. I mean, how hard would it be to... You don't think anyone knew him? I don't think so. But you, you have to plan for that. Spectre, they're masterminds. What if there was someone on the base? So let's take two years planning this mission. Yeah, what was it? Voice lessons, facial reconstruction. Yeah. Quarter of a million isn't enough. Or uh, 100,000 isn't enough. I what a quarter tool. Of a million. He needs to they should have paid him. I mean, honestly. I get I get it. But I mean... He, in the... he might talk. He's the idiot. He is. He's an idiot. That's true. For not having the money up front. No, whatever. I think it's a believable plot, for the most part. Mm-hmm. What do you think of uh, Felix Leiter? I wasn't a fan. He's not my favorite Felix. Yeah. I think I've been pretty so consistent about cool. that. Yeah. They didn't seem like counterparts. What about Carla? Oh. What about who? Carla, his uh, field agent assistant. I don't really have any strong opinions on her. She died doing her job, man. It happens. It happens a lot with James. Yeah. Cold-blooded. Actually, that's something we should count up at some point. How many times has he lost a field agent that was supporting him? Probably a good number of times. Yeah. That's a good thing. We'll we'll, we'll go back, check the corrections page. Eventually. Yeah, at some point. <laughs> at some point, we'll get to that. Just looking over my notes here. You want to talk about Sean Connery's James Bond a little bit? Mm-hmm. So Sean Connery is, is James Bond. Yes, he is. Did he did did he do justice to the part in this film? I think so. I mean, is he stronger as James Bond than he was in Goldfinger? He's definitely. On the same playing field. I think he's more aggressive in this film. Mm -hmm. He's more confident. I think he shows some of that. um, A little bit from the books. The coldness with the affairs. That wasn't quite there, I think, in the first three films. I I don't... I I find it... It's kind of hard to put him ahead of Goldfinger, though. I thought he was... Kind of everything you'd expect James Bond to be. Mm-hmm. But he's not that far removed from it either. Okay. Oh, no, Peyton, what do you think? Huh? Exactly. What? What do you think about what? Thunderball.